This Choircast podcast episode is brought to you by This Is Not Church podcast and the letter F. And you. (laughs) (laughs) If you've made it this far, my name is Nat Turney, my brother John Turney, and I co-host This Is Not Church, the podcast. And this is sadly the level of discourse that you can expect to find if you tune in every Monday when we drop new episodes. But all joking aside, John and I see this as as an opportunity for us to address issues that we don't think are addressed nearly enough inside of evangelicalism. So LGBTQIA plus issues, BIPOC issues, social justice issues. We like to talk to a broad variety and range of people and really try to find places of commonality for everybody. So check out the podcast. Every Monday, our episodes drop. Wherever you stream podcasts, you can find us. Remember, this is not church. And to that, John says, peace. It's time for another round of Snarky Faith with your host, Stuart Deloney. This is a space where we irreverently wrestle through life, culture, and spirituality, all with our heads in the clouds, our tongues in our cheeks, our hearts in our sleeves, and our feet on the ground. At Snarky Faith, the questions or even the answers are never the point. It's all about the conversation. So here's your host, Stuart Deloney. Well, good afternoon and welcome to another round of Snarky Faith. I'm your host, Stuart Deloney, and Snarky Faith is radio for the spiritually disenfranchised. If you've had enough of the insanity in Christianity, well, you've come to the right place. Here at Snarky Faith, we're all about finding a sane faith grounded in reality and working to make the world a better place in tangible ways. We're here to call out religious BS, look for better ways forward, and help you realize that you're not crazy. This religious stuff is completely nuts. You can handle your conversations about faith with copious amounts of sarcasm and also a bit of this. And welcome home. We're glad you're here. This broadcast and all past podcasts can be found at snarkyfaith.com and wherever else you listen to podcasts. We're here. We're there. We're everywhere. Just look for Snarky Faith. Well, how's everyone doing today? I'm hoping everyone survived their summer well, and now we're transitioning into the fall. What I'm going to be doing over the next couple of weeks on this show is playing a bit of catch-up because my summer has been a bit crazy and I've got a few interviews backlogged that are ready and waiting for you guys. The first one we'll get to a little later today. It's Nat Turney and his new book, The Seeds of Deconstruction. And we'll get to that fun conversation in a bit. But before we get to that, we've got a couple things that I want to do. First of which, I want to share with all of you I want to share with you some of the, hmm, what's the word I should use? Some of the beautiful, unexpected, weird synchronicities in life? Yeah, yeah. Um, So I mentioned earlier that I've had a busy summer, and I feel like the month of August was surrounding getting my three oldest kids back moved into college. And so what that was supposed to look like, what that's supposed to look like is, wow, finally, in the fall, it'll just be my wife and me and my youngest daughter in the house. That's what it'll be. It'll be lovely. It'll be quiet, right? Right, right? That's how they say it's going to go? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, that's not how it goes. <laughs> this, this, this is not even a week after I'm back 
after moving in my oldest daughter down at Emory in Atlanta. And school starts here. High school starts back. And we're trying to get back in the kind of rhythm and realm of how that looks <laughs> within the school year. And then first week of school happens. And we have this cat show up. This young cat shows up. Uh, we're thinking it's a feral cat because it just hung out in the bushes for a couple days. And we would see it, and it was hungry, and it was small, and it just hung out in the bushes. And then we would try to put some food out for it because it looked really sad. And then the cat started coming around closer feeding it because it did it looked very sad and now somehow after about a week my daughter has brought this cat into our lives now for those of you that don't know i am terribly allergic to cats we've had dogs before in the past but it was the kind of thing tomorrow where my wife and i are like hey we're kind of moving to this phase in life where we want to kind of live lighter and really not have any pets or anything like that and my daughter brings us a cat. Really, the cat brought himself to us, but I think it's my daughter that pushed the impetus <laughs> on a lot of this. I'm not a cat person, never been a cat person, and apparently now I'm having to learn to be a cat person. This is going to be an outdoor cat, so I speak. Who knows if my daughter has other plans? But it's been a really, really weird thing to happen because I'm, again, saying I'm not a cat guy. I never really grew up around them or anything, aka allergies. But it's been something that we didn't necessarily expect, something that kind of just came into our lives. And it's been something quite interesting. Trying to nourish and take care of this cat and get it actually healthy again and get it on its way to being able to, to live and to grow and be successful and a part of our outdoor, outdoor uh, family life. and. My only point to this whole story is that sometimes there's things that we are not expecting in life that are coming around to us. And oftentimes, if we are not awake to see it happening, if we're not really awake and aware and mindful and contemplative to the things in the world that is moving around us, we oftentimes miss it. And this has been a weird thing, but it has actually been really a good thing for me. Me actually bonding with a cat, washing my hands and face a ton. But it's been a beautiful thing kind of seeing nature come together, seeing God's creation and what it looks like to be able to invest in the life of something. Um, so, yeah. So, yeah. It's my little baby sermon of the week. But just telling you to slow down and pay attention to those things that are going on around you. There's a lot of insanity in the world that we're dealing with politically and otherwise that continues on and it's going to continue on. But one of the things that this cat has reminded me is that we need to be slowing down to seeing the things that are happening around us. Maybe it's not animals. Maybe it's people in your community. But oftentimes when we are fully formed and moving at light speed and our to-do list and get-her-done modes, we tend to not see things happening around us. We tend to lose ourselves in the doing and not in the being. And this cat is teaching me to slow down and to change the way I was thinking about things and the way I was walking in the past. And it's kind of brought a little bit of a blessing to me. So we'll see how this goes. I'll keep you informed. <laughs> well, that's enough of this beautiful, nice and fuzzy stuff talking about young cats and cuddly creatures because 
you know this show is called Snarky Face. We can't, we can't get into this too much. No, no, no. I know the internet is full of adorable cat pics, but we've got to get into the realm that we like to muck through here on the show. And since we've been off for a couple weeks, we got to come back. We got to come back. And coming back, there is nothing better than the choicest cuts of Christian nuts. That's right. The Christian crazy of the week, where we skewer through the insanity in Christianity. So let's go ahead and go. If loving the Lord is wrong, I don't want to be right. Lord have mercy. The Lord is my shepherd. He know what I want. Well, let's go ahead and start off the Christian crazy with with one of our, you know, deeper thinkers in this realm. And if you're not picking up on the thick sarcasm in that, I'm sorry. You can go ahead and figure that this next guy that we're going to talk about is a deep thinker. I really don't care because he is nutter. But Pastor Jack Hibbs, who we're going to let go on a weird, weird, weird Sunday morning rant, just want to remind you that even in the Christian crazy where we try to make fun of these fools and buffoons of the faith, you need to remember that folks like this, like Jack Hibbs, that we're going to listen to in a second, are pushing things through in government that we can call them idiots, but at the same time, they're doing a lot of harm. Jack Hibbs uh, is, and his church are pushing to fill public school boards with far-right people in California. Wow, just like Jesus told us to. Yeah, yeah. Now, the best way to be able to handle this is, is to think about this. So, so Jack Hibbs is wanting to change the schools, but what is Jack Hibbs really thinking? This is a great insight into the deep mind of Pastor Jack Hibbs, because Jack is worried about many things. Maybe it's indoctrination. Maybe it's the woke agenda. Or maybe, just maybe, it's UFOs. So you would normally think, UFOs, I knew it. I knew it from other planets, all this stuff. Wow, uh, Fox Mulder was right. X-Files, yes. Uh, George Jetson, I get it. And, um, and yet I think that what is truly behind all this stuff is what has been truly behind everything. I do not, for the record, I do not believe in creatures from other worlds. I do not believe in other planets. I don't believe in these creatures having, are, are visiting us from other uh, places. So hold on, let's just stop a hot minute right here with Jack. He doesn't believe in planets? And then my second thought going through this is, uh, this, this is kind of a weird direction to take on a Sunday morning, but, you know... It's a Christian crazy. So I think, I think that we need to let him finish. Yeah, Jack, what do you believe? What do you believe? I believe it's demonic demons, fallen angels, because you have no idea, nor do I, what a fallen angel is. You don't know what they can produce. You don't know what they can create. Well, Jack, we've got, we have UFO uh, materials that have been collected from from crash sites. I understand that. That has been scientifically tested. I just believe the origin is an act of deception by Satan to get people 
duped. Oh, so the duper is worried about becoming the dupee? What, what is this? What is this? This is such a bizarre aside. So he doesn't believe in all of these things, but he does believe in the things that have been found after the crash. He believes they're scientifically proven, and he believes they're... All the work of someone, someone? Who could it be? Could it be... Satan? That's always the answer. That's always, always going to be a winner, especially for folks like Jack. Now, when we're talking about the Christian crazy, there's been a lot that has also been happening to the Orange Messiah, their chosen one from Mar-a-Lago. And there's been a lot happening. So honestly, honestly, I think we need to do a little bit of check. Let's do a little bit of checking in on them prophets. Say, hey, prophets, how you feeling? How you feeling about your little Trumpy boy. Nasty, snarky faith. Well, when it comes to the prophets of modern era American Christianity, we've got so many, so many nuts in the assortment to choose from. Where should we start? Oh, let's go ahead and start with Robin Bullock. Because Robin, as many of these folks here, or having a little, you know, profitile dysfunction and trying to explain themselves. There's some things that we've given in prophetic word that I've said that absolutely there's no way you could have made it up. They come to pass and it's all recorded. Do you think that, and prophecies other prophets have given that are astounding, that you just look at it and say, you can't make this stuff up. Do you think they would hit it on everything like that and miss who won the election? Folks, that's stupid. I will agree on him on that last point. Folks, this is stupid. You gotta love prophets that come with big boasts and zero receipts. There's been a guy, he said lots of things. It's amazing. How could we be right about all of these things? And be wrong about this other thing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad that works in his church. I'm glad that works in his church. But mm, no. No, no, no. So let's go ahead and have another check-in. A little another check-in with, hey, Kuhneman. Who's upset still about the election. And he has something to say. About accountability and God's authority on his prophecies. Let's listen to the BS. Oh, the lovely BS. Right That's here. That's why this man hasn't been opening his mouth, because Jesus said, don't. Don't do it. I went to my fathers. I went to my spiritual mothers. I went to my board. I went to my peer-level relationships and said, hey, there's a lot of calling out going on, and my name's getting thrown out there. Uh, what do I do? Jesus told me not to say anything. They said, follow what Jesus said. You're right on. And not only that, we're your accountability system. And they told me not to address it. And so don't keep asking me to take the lead. I have. I've honored Jesus. I've done what he said. And I honored those that I'm accountable to, submitted to, 
Oh, you've got to love his commitment. Jesus told me not to talk about it. My spiritual fathers and mothers and accountability partners, which don't exist in his world, they told me not to talk about it. So, folks, I'm going to not talk about it by talking about it right now. Because, you know, I need you to know about the thing that I'm not supposed to talk about. So let me talk about it. And lastly, in the Christian crazy, we've got Nathan French, another struggling prophet. Nathan is a gorgeous little simpleton. And it's almost like listening to a kid that's lying about why he doesn't have his homework to the teacher. So let's go ahead and listen to Nathan French and what God is really doing because, you know, the rest of us can't see what God's doing. But Nathan, Nathan can. So Nathan? God told me he's about to bring justice. Biden is going to get yanked out like a bad habit. I'm just telling the truth right now. Good, good. And Preach Trump, it. the rightful president, is about to get reinserted. And wow. what they tried to do to him and this whole, all the nonsense of the insurrection and, and all this nonsense trying to paint him into a corner and the indictment. And I mean... All of it is playing right into the, the words that have been prophesied by many who have even been on your show. So I'm excited to see the results. I'm excited to see faith rewarded. I'm excited for God to back those he's been speaking through that hear the word of the Lord. Oh, he's so excited. He's so excited. But, you know, excitement doesn't bring accurate prophecy. As much as you want to will it into being there, little Nate, it ain't gonna happen, buddy. And it kind of boils down to, and we've mentioned this before on the show, but it really boils down to two things. Uh, if what you're saying is true, uh, God is a limp-dicked God who can't do anything but keeps waiting to do it. It's like God's a huge procrastinator. Oh, I can't believe what they've done to my chosen one. I'm so angry, and I will get my retribution in this country to bring this country back to me. So it's either that, or Nathan is full of shit. Second one seems to make most sense. It's kind of Arkham's Razor, right? Arkham's Razor. All right. So lastly, lastly, before we get to the interview with Nat Turney, I've got to give you the worst, the worst of the week. I give you the Christian cringe. Christian cringe. No, God, please, no, no. Oh, the Christian cringe of the week goes to none other than J.D. Greer. J.D. Greer, which may be the worst J.D. in popular conservative culture right now. Maybe J.D. Vance, J.D. Greer. I don't know. I don't know. But, but J.D. Greer used to be, used to be the president of the Southern Baptist Convention. J.D. Greer is the lead pastor of the Summit, which is a large behemoth that exists here in the Raleigh and Chapel Hill and Durham area. Oh, they're lovely folk, wonderful folk, that franchise church. No, 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 that's not the point. J.D. Greer's a little mad that you are not showing up for the show, and he's not going to take it anymore. It's one of the things, honestly, that irritates me about you guys that cruise in 10 minutes late or leave five minutes before we dismiss. 
It's not that I'm mad that you're missing part of the service. It's that you treat church like a religious show instead of a welcoming family that you're a part of. When people say that the church is unfriendly and it feels like a big production, you're the problem. You gotta love that type of narcissistic behavior that tells the victims that you're the problem, right? I'm the guy on stage. I'm the guy under the lights. I'm the guy with the band behind me and the lighting effects and the fog machines. How dare you turn this into a show? <laughs> what? <laughs> That's like the pot calling the kettle a narcissistic and hypocritical pastor. What? What? He's so mad that you aren't making community. We put on a good show, and it's your job to make community. Damn it! Damn it! It's in the Bible! Jesus told us not to show up late to worship and not to leave early during the announcements. Christ said it. Christ was very clear on this, just like he was clear on the fog machines. Oh, JD. Oh, JD. Hmm. Enjoy cultivating McChurch for the masses. Now, 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 now is the time. Now is the time for my conversation with Nat Turney. And I will just go ahead and say, Nat is a fantastic conversationalist. He's also a wonderful human that has been super patient with me being super late in getting these interviews out. So without further ado, let's go ahead and talk about Nat Turney's new book, The Seeds of Deconstruction. Joining me today is Nat Turney. He is the author of the new book, Seeds of Deconstruction from Choir Publishing. Nat also hosts the Choircast podcast, This Is Not Church, with his far much less handsome brother, John. Um, and Nat is also known as the Bearded Barista. So Nat, welcome here. It's great to have you here. Hey, man, I'm, uh, I'm glad to be here. I'm, I'm the trifecta, man. You know, you are. I'm the much better co-host looking. I said much better co-host. It actually might be both much better co-host and the much better looking co-host. Um, uh, this is not church. And then, yeah, the coffee shop I own called the Bearded Barista. And uh, yeah, this new book coming out on August 5th with choir. So I'm super excited, man. Is it difficult for you to have gone through life with having essentially your brother riding on your coattails? You know what? Time? It's it's it, it's been tough sledding, man. <laughs> Is it? I'm like, everywhere I look, it's like, holy shit, he's still there. Like, look what he's, no, he's, John, John, you know what? John and I are, gosh, less than two years apart, you know, a mm -hmm. year and a half, always one year apart in school. Yeah. Um, I can tell this about John because he's not here and fuck it, it'll be all right. Um, but, but John was always the good kid up until mm -hmm. high school. And then he turned to shit, right? He went, mm -hmm. he went crazy. Um, so I had to follow that guy every year in elementary school. Um, get the same teacher he just had. And I was terrible. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm, I had ADHD, which they, you know, didn't, they didn't, um, diagnose that they just called it hyperactive. So I was just that guy who's, you know, you know, how come you couldn't be more like your brother? He's so nice and so well-behaved and so studious and so whatever. And I'm like, I don't care. I don't care where the crayons, um, <laughs> you know, finish my work in five seconds. The, uh, my only saving grace was I was, you know, I was pretty smart for a kid. You know, mm -hmm. now my intelligence peaked at around the sixth grade. So, you know, I, 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 I raced up to the, to the, to the starting line. And, and after that, it was all downhill. But uh, after that, yeah, John and I, John and I just, we're super close, man. 
um, it's, it's been, uh, it's been a good 50 plus years of hanging out together and letting him ride on my coattails. It's amazing. <laughs> so before we hop into the book, tell me, tell me a little about, um, I've been enjoying listening to this is not church podcast. So let's yeah. do some shameless promotion here. So shameless promotion. This yeah. is not church is the brainchild of my far less, uh, good looking brother. Um, he dragged me kicking and screaming into podcasting. Um, if I'm being really honest, I didn't even listen to podcasts before I, you know, it just wasn't my thing. And John had, uh, John had an idea. Um, he and I have, have, maybe we'll, maybe we'll write about this one day. Um, we diverged. I stayed pretty much inside of Christianity my whole life. Um, John got the hell out when he was 18. Um, the church kind of pushed him out and he stayed out and he was happy. He didn't come back for 30 plus years. Mm. Um, and so our, our paths that in, in that, in that way diverged and we came back together when John had, you know, through a, through a series of events kind of started reexamining his faith a little bit and got re hurt by the church, which is inevitable. Um, anyway, so he had this idea, like we could come at this at the time I was still pastoring and John had left and he was like, why don't we do a podcast, you know, sort of from the perspective of one guy sort of still inside of the church and one guy out of it. Mm -hmm. And we'll get a bunch of our, people that we like or people that we know to come on and interview. And so that was, that was it. You know, we, uh, we did the first probably three or four episodes. It, it was crazy because through the last, you know, maybe four or five years, I've just been on Facebook constantly. Mm -hmm. um, Facebook was kind of my training ground. And through that I met, you know, and got to know people like Brad Jersak and Brian Zond and, you know, um, other people, William Paul Young. And so we had all these contacts and I just shotgunned invitations to probably 30 people mm. and like 29 of them said, sure. And we went, oh shit, now what do we do? So <laughs> you know, it was like this sort of embarrassment of riches when we first started, we didn't know what we were doing. John was doing all the editing. We probably, if you ever go back into the archives, I, it's just for fun, go back and listen to like our first three episodes and go, wow, how the hell did this go beyond three? Yeah. Uh, well, it's because we hired Eric who was at the time the editor for the Heretic Happy Hour and for Jason Elam's podcast, Messy Spirituality. And he fixed everything. <laughs> he fixed it all. So yeah, that was it. You know, it's been great. John, uh, I, I, I rag on John a lot. John's the, John's the brainchild. Mm. Um, it's because of John that we have the connections and the relationship we, that we do with like HarperCollins um, and other, you know, Penguin and other major publishers who unsolicited send us books mm -hmm. and say, hey, we got this book coming out. We'd like to, you to interview our author. And so we've been able to branch out from just sort of the deconstruction side of things, you know, where we started with all of our guys that we liked. Um, and all of a sudden we're getting books from people who are, you know, journalists for CNN and they're, you know, you know, climate scientists who are writing about stuff from a faith perspective, which was amazing. Um, all kinds of different people, activists and um, people inside of all the marginalized communities that we care about. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's that it just sort of blossomed from there. Our approach is similar to yours, I think, which is I don't care about anything but the conversation. Mm -hmm. Let's make it interesting. Um, let's keep it as free flowing as possible. Let's not censor anything. Um, it's always funny when somebody comes on and you know, you know, drops an f bomb. And they go, "Oh, is that okay?" I'm like, "Fuck yeah, that's okay. Do it." <laughs> like, of course, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't want to. Um, the only person I think we ever offended was Kristen Dumay. Um, and I just think she was, she's such an academic, she's such a scholar and she's so nice, but she was on, on the program, uh, talking about her book, Jesus and John Wayne, mm -hmm. which coincidentally after our episode aired, she broke into the, uh, New York times bestseller list. Mm -hmm. I, I think don't that, know. I think, you know, I, I, I would put that, I think you guys did that. 
I think we might be responsible. All 18 of our listeners all bought her book. It was great. Um, I've tried to get her to come back on uh, because I wanted to see the value of that. But she is knee deep in her current book. So she said, nah, not now. Okay. But, you know, but I remember talking about we got on the issue of, of patriarchy and, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, I think there was, there was a question of of, of sort of, of uh, purity culture and how much pressure is put on women to dress a certain way, right? Because they don't want to arouse the uncontrollable feelings of men. And I said, I'm fucking offended that 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 and she and she kind of looked. I could we had the video and she kind of just stopped and went. So I'm sorry. I, did, <laughs> I, did. I am though. I'm offended that this is the, this is yeah. you know the women. It's offensive to women. It's offensive to men. Absolutely. You know it. It's it, it, do we expect so little out of you know teenage men, twenty year old men that they have to be catered to, otherwise they can't control their animal lust and they'll have to just go rape. Yeah, that's, that's horseshit, right? And it's obviously offensive to to the women, um, but that's the culture we grew up in, especially in mm-hmm. the '80s and the '90s when purity culture was, you know, the thing. Um, which is actually probably going to be the subject of another book for me. I'm going to write it. I'm a, I'm, I'm thinking about a a book about purity culture from a male perspective and mm-hmm. how it screwed us up and and led to this whole toxic masculinity thing we've got going now. So. That is fascinating too. So I, right? I, I, I yeah, See, I, I can't I, I can't wait to hear you go down that that purity route. Oh, I got some yeah. stories, man. Oh. There's some that's some scary shit right there. It is <laughs> those those silver rings. I remember those rings Ooh, back in the day I, too. I, I actually almost, you know, I can't remember if I did or not. I'll have to ask my daughter. I'm pretty sure we made them sign a pledge. I'm not so sure we made them wear the ring. Um, and I've apologized profusely for this. I'm like, we didn't know. We thought we were just doing the best we could, you know? And then one of them, you know, ends up pregnant before she got married. I'm like, well, we fucked that up. Good job, buddy. Yeah. Um, well, apparently you just needed the ring. The ring was what? If she'd had the ring on. It is. See, it was. It's, is the, it's like a cervical barrier. It, that, that, that <laughs> the Holy Spirit in the, in the habits, <laughs> like the little circle, and it keeps uh, it out. Yeah. I'm going to have to tell it's my like daughter, an IUD. listen yeah. to this. Yeah, yeah. I was... I don't have regrets in life, really. But if I could go back and parent again, I would. You know what I'm saying? Like, maybe that's that. I know there's some folks who have written books about parenting and deconstruction. And there's a there's a thread that moves through most of us who are like, ah, mm-hmm. I wish I was less of an asshole. You know, mm-hmm. I just wish I could have been less controlling and scared because that's that all of that culture thrives on fear. Yeah. So we were just scared to death, you know, that public school is going to screw our kids up and mess them all up. And so. Yeah. Anyway, that's a story for a different day. Uh, daughters, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'll make sure. I'll make sure we send them out uh, apology letters too after this one. So, yeah, but let's the, let's let's hop, let's, hop, <laughs> let's let's hop into your book, Seeds of Deconstruction, yeah. too. Um, I I really enjoyed reading this. It really feels like a like a tour de force of burning down religious myths and mechanism to like push us towards like a clear eyed faith. And like a call back to Jesus and his roots, it reminded me a bit, uh, which you mentioned this in the book too, uh, of the Ragamuffin Gospel by Brendan Manning, and yeah. also like I kind of felt like it was a bit too of like if you've ever read like Art of Motorcycle Maintenance or Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, love that book. Yes. And it kind of like for you, it, it, I, I enjoyed it. It was like raw and honest, but at the same time, it was it was well researched, and it kind of just felt like talking to a friend that's sharing stories over like coffee or beer. Yeah, and, well, and it, it, yeah, it yeah. felt super personal, and I loved it. I, that's uh, what's really so. Here's an interesting story about the book. Um, mm-hmm. I had a writing coach um, who uh, 
I'll shout out because Meg Calvin is the bomb. She's also a choir author. Uh, we'd had her on the podcast, maybe man, really early on. She was she was someone we'd reached out to. We were kind of grabbing choir authors like crazy. We weren't affiliated with choir by any stretch at that point. We just were in love with what choir was doing. And so uh, Meg came on and she had mentioned in, in, in her interview that she did this sort of on the side. She's like, well, I also coach writers. Mm. And I thought to myself, that's what I need. Mm-hmm. Like, I am so disorganized. I'm so overwhelmed at the idea of writing a book that having somebody to a hold me accountable, uh, be, be somebody who I could bounce ideas off of. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be, that would be really, really cool. And so anyway, reached out to her at the time. Um, I had some time, I had some downtime and hired her, you know, so it went really well. So um, we started meeting like, just, just like this, like you and I are doing right now, once a week. And I would submit chapters or, or pages to her and we would, we would talk about it and she'd be like, are you sure about this? You know, I feel like you're holding back on this. She, um, and I found in the first month or so, she was uh, more of a therapist (laughs) than, than writing coach. Right. We didn't, we Mm -hmm. talked less about writing and more about the blocks to writing. Mm -hmm. Like, what is it that you, and I I, I listened to an episode of your podcast recently where you, in fact, I think just the one that you just released Mm -hmm. where you talked about sort of having the yips Mm -hmm. and having this sort of like, like this imposter syndrome thing Mm -hmm. that kind of creeps in and goes like, who the hell are you? And what do you have to say? Um, Dude, I had that like halfway through and half check this shit out halfway through the book. I find out that both Brian Zond and Brad Jersak are writing books about deconstruction. And I got on a phone call with, with Meg and I'm like, what the fuck am I doing? Mm, Like they will have said all there is to say, these are two of my heroes. They will have said, and Meg and her infinite wisdom said, Oh no, they won't say what you have to say. Mm -hmm. They'll say what Brian and Brad have to say. And having read both their books, they're they're way different than, than what I've written here. So, um, the funny story in a very, very roundabout way. If you were concerned, we wouldn't have enough content. I got you, bro. I mean, that guy <laughs> can bullshit with the best. No, I'm just kidding. Um, the, uh, the funny story was about, we started that process in like April. And then I opened up the coffee shop that my wife and I had been planning. Mm. And I'm working myself to the bone. I'm working 14, 16, 17 hour days. I'm, there's days I don't leave. I just sleep in the coffee shop and get up the next morning and go. And on one of those mornings, super tired, super sleep deprived, carrying a bunch of stuff down the front steps of our little shop, I fell and broke my elbow. Oh, gosh. And I went, oh, this sucks. And so, you know, I go to the doctor, get x-ray. Yeah, broken. What do you do? Put it in a splint, put it whatever. So for several weeks, I couldn't type. I couldn't do anything. Um, Meg and I worked out a deal where we kind of extended my, I was supposed to be done with that thing in six months. And I'm like, this Mm -hmm. is really going to get in the way. Um, I'm running a business and it's killing me and I'm now I'm injured. And, um, and on a, on a, uh, on a lark, I decided to try voice dictation. Hmm. So there's, there's this, if there's a conversational style to the book, and if I learned anything about that process, it was that sort of vocal dictation uh, method led to a, a, like a more conversational, um, approach to the book i told meg mm-hmm. when we were talking i said there's times when i'll write even after i went back to typing again i'll type out you know maybe four or five pages and then i'll read it back to myself like does that sound like something i would say mm-hmm. like, like does that sound or, or does it sound like something i would write and i was way more concerned that it sounded like something i would say mm-hmm. like if you and i were just going to sit down and have a talk about deconstruction where would i start 
um, and probably where I'd start is telling you some stories and, and kind of giving you my background. So that's, that's, I'm, I'm anyway, long story short, barely short, it's a really long story long. Um, I'm glad you picked up on that because that was the point was the, when, uh, when I was asked, how do you want this to feel? I said, I really want it to feel like a conversation. Mm. Um, I really want it to feel like the, like the readers being invited in to experience some of this. And I think we'll hit on some of the same things you mentioned that mm -hmm. like, you are like, Oh shit. Okay. I did that. And okay. That, yep. that sounds familiar. And, um, I think there's a lot of places where there's some, a lot of touchstones where people will go, Oh, that's, that's a lot like my experience mm -hmm. um, inside of the church. So. Uh, yeah. I had that a lot too, going through this. Now, when you are in the process of writing a book about deconstruction, I know this may sound obvious, but, but who did you have in mind when you're writing it? Like who, who was your audience? That you're my audience yeah. was me mm. 10 or 15 years before mm. wishing I'd had a book like this. Wishing I'd had somebody come alongside and say, um, okay, you're not crazy. Yeah. You know, because I felt gaslit by my church a lot mm -hmm. as though I were imagining problems that weren't there or inventing or creating problems that weren't there. Um, they would pay lip service because they were my friends to being supportive of my journey. Um, but they could not get it. I, I mentioned the pastor. I said that my opening sort of story is me sitting down with this pastor. Um, and you know, we're having some issues he and I, anyway, um, I'm already, I'm, I'm already moving beyond his sphere. Um, his, his usually, I don't think I put this in the book, but his, it got to a point where anytime we'd meet, he'd say, okay, well, what's the, what's the, what's the problem now? Like, <laughs> like what's your issue today? And I'm mm -hmm. like, well, let's talk about atonement theories. Cause I think they're all horse shit. And he'd be like, whoa, 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 hold up. I'm like, you know, and I'd lay it out. I'm like, you mean to tell me that in your version of the gospel, God loved us so much. He had to beat the hell out of his own kid. And, you know, so now God's pro child sacrifice, but anti-child sacrifice. And yeah, anyway. Um, so when we, you know, we got to that point, where we would we would meet and talk. There was an awful lot of, again, because we were colleagues, I'm on staff with this man. He's my boss and and I'm leading worship and I'm helping out with youth group and I'm doing the things and I'm trying to maneuver myself into a, you know, into a, a vocational uh, position in ministry. That was my goal since I was like 20, right? Um, a lot of the book deals with all of that disappointment, like mm -hmm. that never coming to fruition because I just never could fit inside the mold. Um and so he would, you know, because of that friendship, there was an awful lot of like, okay, I get it, but, but, but not really, you know what I'm saying? Like, mm -hmm. there, like, like there was also a lot of bewilderment and a lot of um, misunderstanding or assigning motivations. They didn't, that, that, that weren't there. Mm -hmm. um, was I bitter? Was I angry? I'm like, well, yeah, but not at y'all. I mean, <laughs> I'm bitter and angry at the institution, but so I would have loved to have something like this. Yeah. Um, what I found, um, and I'm thankful, you know, that you say what you want about social media, uh, decry it as, as you will, as a place, you know, of a, you know, a barren wasteland of, of, you know, narcissism and bullshit. However, had it not been for Facebook, I would not have, I wouldn't have encountered people like me who were asking questions I was asking. Mm. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of Michael Harden, but Michael Harden was, um, man, like, like drinking from the fire hose. Um, if you do know him and you don't like him, sorry. Um, I, he's, he's a, he's a tough pill to swallow. Sometimes he's a great dude. He's a super smart guy, but through Michael, I meet guys like, or I meet people like Michelle Collins who through, through who I meet Matthew DeSefano and through. And so there's this whole chain and there's this whole chain of events that happens. 
you know, I end up going to conferences and meeting Brad and having a really good conversation with Brad Jersak. And he becomes a friend and mentor who writes the forward. He wrote the forward to my book um, and has encouraged me. So there's all these people from these different sort of um, walks of life, you know, Brad being ultra orthodox and Michelle being, I don't even know, maybe an atheist at this point. <laughs> She's like, but Michael, you know, had it not been for that place, though, where where questions were. Um, not just tolerated, but encouraged and welcomed. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure what what would have happened, but mm. that's that's who I had in mind. That's who I still have in mind. And as I'm going through this process, um, I know you've probably had this experience too, as you talk to people who are still sort of plugged into the to the religious matrix, yeah. and they either push back or they're or they're or they're critical. Um, I try to remember that ten years ago that was me. Mm. And if I'm not careful, um, I'll prioritize my rightness over the relationship with that person. And I want to be there when the light comes on. Mm -hmm. And I want to be I want to be someone that 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 comes to mind when the questions do start or when the systems that they trust in begin to fail. Who do you call if, if you're the asshole who burned down every bridge and sort of, you know, had a scorched earth policy when you left? That's not helpful to anybody. Helps your ego. Sure. Yeah. Uh, might help your Facebook followership, but, but in reality, I want those people to call me, mm. you know, and say, Hey, okay, now I'm starting to kind of get, this has happened. I've had, and I've had that happen enough times to know that, that it's worthwhile to prioritize um, those relationships over, over those other things that are more superficial. Mm. Now you talk about, now this, this book is about you walking through your journey of deconstruction, mm -hmm. uh, investigating deeper into your faith. And, and you talk about this, uh, I guess, this idea of these drips of discontent yeah, uh, that begin to happen to you. So, like, where were you, like, prior? And then, like, what began? What were those first things that started eroding? The biggest, the biggest places of disappointment and the biggest places of disillusion came with the empty promises. Mm. Um, now, mind you, there were plenty of those. There were plenty before that. Um, oh. A lot of my sort of early childhood, adolescence had more to do with discovering how much hypocrisy was in the church. Yeah. Right. So whether it be the multiple pastors that I served under or who were, you know, who were the pastors of churches I attended who had moral failings. Um, and then, you know, churches blew up over that. Um, finding out that sometimes um, male leaders especially are authoritarian and domineering and broke no argument about, you know, I, th those things, began to weigh on me, except that I could always sort of excuse the position I, you know, where I was at. Well, yeah, those guys do that, but the guys I'm with don't. Or how's this for even worse? The guys I'm with do that, but they don't do it to me. Okay. Yep. Right. I've watched one, one pastor in particular, who is the one I mentioned beforehand. Like, I don't care if he knows who he is when I talk about him in the book is he's the problem in my opinion. Um, and I, and I sat in staff meetings with him and watched him make women cry. Mm-hmm. And then walked away. And I'm like, that's a shame. I, I'm ashamed of that. Like, yeah. I, like, and, and the thought process was, well, you know, he, was, he wasn't doing it to me. Yeah. Um, or I'd watch him excoriate people who left the church. But he was cool to me. The problem was at some point he turned his attention on me. Yep. And I and and and, you know, you know, the old that, that old saying that there was no one left to stand up for me because uh, I sure as hell didn't stand up for them. But the 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 drips that I talk about in the in the book um, really, really started to really. Um, really started to accumulate 
in all of the empty promises. I got this, I got this urge and this nudge at some point. Some would call it a calling. I no longer call it that. I think it was more my ego than anything else. But I, mm-hmm. I got this urge to, I just wanted to be a pastor and I just wanted to be in church. I wanted to get paid. I didn't want to make a lot of money. I just wanted to make enough money to support my family and do this thing I thought I loved doing. And I made those intentions known to a couple different guys who made all kinds of promises and then never, never fulfilled them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, for whatever reason, uh, I don't fit inside their mold. I don't fit, you know, or my last name doesn't rhyme with the, with the, with the, with the guy who's leading the church. Um, there's, there's a lot of nepotism, man. There's a lot of nepotism. Yep. And I got to a place where I'm like, okay, you're, you're never going to recognize me as more than the guy that can stand on the stage and, and sing and, and lead a band. You're never going to entrust me with more of this. And then in the middle of all of that, I start to have all these really, really deep questions about all of it. Like mm-hmm. it all. Um, everybody's deconstruction is different, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's the one thing I try to make clear throughout the book. Um, there's if, if you find somebody hawking a book, dude, for like 10 easy steps to deconstruction, that guy's a charlatan. <laughs> right? Yeah, I would absolutely agree with that. Yeah. And a crook and he should be hung from a yard arm. Don't do it. Don't buy it. Don't fall for it. Um, because it's, it can't be that way. It can't be prescriptive. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and it's not just the process that's different. It's the, it's the impetus that's different. Everybody's, everybody starts for different reasons. Um, I know people who are, um, fully deconstructing, um, because of circumstances way beyond their control, like Mm -hmm. shit just went wrong. Right. And when stuff goes wrong and the things that are supposed to fix everything don't work that man, that leads to all kinds of questions. Right. Um, there are fewer like me. I think I'm, I might be in the minority, but mine was really deliberate. Mm-hmm. Mine was like, I don't understand this and I don't understand this. And this doesn't make sense. Um, if they've been lying to me about those things, they must have lied about everything. And so my deconstruction began with a wrecking ball mm-hmm. of just to hell with all of it. Let's burn it all to the ground and let's just see what survives and then build that up sort of piece by piece. But um it's very unique and it's very individual. Uh, that's why I try very, very hard in the book to not offer advice on how to, on how to walk through it. Um, I'm trying not, I try very hard not to, not to, I don't even, I, I don't even know what I believe if I believe in the process of reconstruction at all, because in my point, in my mind, as soon as you start to reconstruct, you're going to have to tear that shit down too. Yep. So in fact, that was a, in a much less eloquent way of saying what Bayo Okomalafe said on our, on our podcast, where he was like, don't be in a hurry to rebuild things. Mm. Maybe let the ground lie fallow for a season and imagine something actually new. Mm. Because if you build it now, you won't have anything to go on, but you, what you know, you'll just build mm-hmm. the same thing. It might look better for a moment, but and I saw this happen. Did you not see this happen with the movements that come along? I watched it happen. The most, the most mm. striking one to me was with the grace movement. And I was full bore, dude. I was haul, I was head first in that stuff. John came back to the church in the middle of that. And we both dove like deep. Um, and then after a couple of two, three years of, of bliss, of like just sort of swimming in the God is cool and grace is good and legalism is bullshit. And we just kind of did that number. I started to notice that, 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 that the bigger a little ministry got, um, their their evolution in that stopped as well 
And suddenly they got very rigid. And so the people that I was following at one point suddenly were throwing me out of Facebook groups because I didn't agree with them about atonement. Um, I started to question the idea of an eternal hell and got kicked out of John Crowder's group. You know, <laughs> you know, um, I, I've lost track of how many, how many guys I got kicked, how many, how many groups I got kicked out of because they stopped. Yeah. And suddenly they had something to defend. And so that whole, does that make sense? I mean, all of, all, yeah, like, absolutely. I've been, like, yeah. Cause you're right. It, I feel like there's, it's almost like someone has something that they feel like is new or fresh. And then it's like time to erect a monument and like camp here. And yeah. this is it. Like we found the destination. Woo. Even though it's, you're right. I, I feel like it, it's, it's just more of a longer term journey of being like, wow, yes, this meant something now. Yeah. But I can't, I'm not meant to live here. I'm not meant yeah. to camp here. I like there's growth continues on. Yeah. And, um, I, and I, I value that. Yeah. I would not. And I think I mentioned in the book that, you know, Andrew Farley was a guy that was groundbreaking for me. I can't hardly stand to listen to the guy now. Yeah. I don't think he's a bad guy, but boy, he's, he's camped out in his position and, and it wasn't him. I should, I should take that back. It was one of his minions who threw me out of his group. Um, and to be fair, let's be really fair. Um, <laughs> now in our olden days and I was, I was jumping into Michael Harden had a, uh, had a little private group. He invited us, some of us to, I felt important. It's very mimetic. If you know, and, and Michael's huge Rene Girard guy, like he's one of, he understands Rene Girard maybe better than anybody. And he creates this very mimetic group, right? Where we're all sort of striving for Mike's approval and we all want to be invited into the group. But somebody would come into that group and say, man, Andrew Farley's little minion so-and-so just posted some dumb shit. Let's go, let's go wreck it. And so we would like go over to their Facebook page and just, you know, give our opinions and, and, and then come back to the group and go, yeah, I got booted. I got booted. Yeah, I got booted. It was a little bit like Facebook terrorism. I get it. It's unfair to say they just kicked me out. We were, sure. we did, we did antagonize. Um, we did that with a couple guys from Bethel and man, they did not like us much. Um, so we were dicks too. Um, but that, that started me thinking though, that this process has to be, um, has to be constant. Yeah. Like, I don't think we can get to a place where we go, okay, this is great. Let's stay here. Right. I'm um, done. Yeah. Right. Finish. <laughs> like you yeah, said, erect, yep. erect the monuments, one to Moses, one to whatever. And right. And then, uh, let's, uh, let's hang out here. I used to tell, and it's funny cause I used to tell my, you know, used to have, I was a youth pastor for several years and I used mm -hmm. to, I, I knew of this philosophy because I would tell this to my kids. We'd go to some event and have some very, very emotional spiritual time. And I would always tell them like, listen, don't pretend you can camp here. Mm -hmm. Like don't pretend. And then don't go try to manufacture this someplace else. Mm -hmm. Like whatever happened here happened because of the people who were here and the, and the specific circumstances. And it was useful. Take that with you. Um, this whole concept of deconstruction as much as I as much as I dislike the word, I still haven't come up with a better one. Mm -hmm. um, a, a friend of mine uses the word detox, uh, detox, right? Detoxification, mm -hmm. um, detoxing from bad religion. Um, it is, and it is more evolutionary than it is. Yep. You know what I mean? I like, because I, I, I can see myself now. There's things in this book I already don't completely agree with, mm -hmm. and it's been less than two years. I mean, it, it was a two year process of writing, uh, a year or so of writing, and then the rest of it, getting it published and getting it everything done. Right. Um, and already there's like, Ooh, man. Okay. Well, maybe I'll write a, maybe I'll write an updated version in a year. Um, and I think I said that in the book, I'm like, there's things I'm writing today. And I, 
I think I, my favorite quote of all time, I, I keep attributing to Felicia Merle, who has reminded me she didn't actually coin it. Um, but regardless, she gets the credit is that's why that's why Jesus wrote in sand. You know, yeah. it's like because I asked her about her first book and she's like, well, you know, uh, <laughs> I asked Brian Zahn about his first book, too. And he's like, yeah, I said sort of the same thing. He's like, well, yeah, I'm going to go back to that one at some point and update mm. it. But um, yeah, it, it has to be it has to be a process, I think. Mm-hmm. And, and when you talk about like that process, too, because I know like in, in the book that you you mentioned. How the really the institutional church continues to exchange this idea of discipleship or yeah. indoctrination. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, I want you to kind of like walk, walk those out. What does it look like that idea of discipleship versus that idea of indoctrination? I wish I'd thought of this analogy before, cause I don't think I put it like this in the book. I should have to me. It's the difference between say an elementary or high school education and a college education. Hmm. Um, mm-hmm. in high school and in grade school, you're learned to memorize information and regurgitate. Um, good college professors don't do that. Um, you brought up the uh, Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance earlier. Um, my first philosophy class I ever took in college, that was the textbook. Mm. How's that for crazy? Like, And it bugged the shit out of me because this guy didn't give answers. Yeah. Right? And his whole syllabus was, I don't give answers. Like, what do you think? Justify it. Explain why you think this. Um, let's drill down into your thinking. Let's let's mm. compare it to what Aristotle said. Let's talk about Socrates. Let's talk about. I wish I'd paid more attention, um, but I was too busy, you know, getting high and being dumb. But um, but that was that was different, right? And then you go to say um, an astronomy class or uh, or an upper level science class, and um, so to me, discipleship and what the church has called discipleship is more like high school. Hey, let mm-hmm. me let me give you a bunch of information. They take that verse, right, that says, be ready in all, and I'm going to butcher it because I don't do memorizing scripture very well, but I know the scripture says something about be ready to give an answer, right? Mm-hmm. Be prepared in all seasons. And so they took that as having to be well-versed in the Bible enough that you could be an apologist so that when somebody challenged you, you could go, hang on a second, but Matthew blah, blah, blah says blah, blah, blah. Um, never mind the rest of that verse doesn't say that. Um, it, it actually talks about giving an answer for the reason for the hope that you have, which has nothing to do with memories, you know, Bible scripture memorization. Um, so they took that to the extreme. And so, and in an effort to be fair, I'll be fair this way and say, um, true discipleship is difficult because it's impossible to quantify. Mm-hmm. And the church lives on things it can quantify. Absolutely. Yeah. If I can put it into an Excel spreadsheet mm-hmm. and present it to the board and say, hey, over the last 10 months, we've had 86% more discipleship, um, then they're down, right? Um, I had a really lovely talk with a woman that I respected. She just passed recently, but she was a retired Methodist minister, right? And she'd come out of retirement. She was in her 80s at the time we were talking, and she was she had come out of retirement back into part-time ministry and her job was to go from, um, you know, the Methodist church has lots and lots and lots of churches. Many of them are very small mm-hmm. and we're talking dozens of members. Right. Um, and her job was to go around in her district and assess the health of these little churches. And after she'd done it for a few minutes, she, we were talking, she's like, it's, she's like, it's heartbreaking because they're great, but on paper they look terrible Yeah, because there's nothing to quantify the things they're doing. Right. All I can talk about is the money they do or don't have, 
the attendance they do or don't have, the programs mm-hmm. they do or do not support. I can't go back and say, yeah, but they're all doing this tremendous work. They have, you know, there's all these um, ineffable qualities that are not quantifiable that you're going to judge them on now. And all you care about are these things over here. So that's the difficulty. Um, the problem with discipleship as I see it, the way that I would like it done, the way that I would do it um, is is it opens the pastor or the leader or whoever up to being vulnerable, to being challenged. Because yeah. you're giving people permission to call you on your bullshit. Yeah. I'm, I'm 100% convinced this is why I failed as a pastor, right? I planted a church three years later. We don't have a church no more. And one of the reasons is I'm like, I don't have any authority. I'd stand in my pulpit. I would say, I don't have any special revelation or anointing from God. Um, if you think what I'm saying is full, is, 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 is wrong, call me on it. Like, let's talk about it. Let's think it through. The Bible says, come, let's, let us reason together. Right. So let's do that. And, uh, people are uncomfortable with that. They don't it's really not want- sexy. Yeah. They want it's to be told not. what to believe. I know. Yeah. yeah. They, they yeah. want the hip dude with the skinny jeans and the whatever to tell them with a certain amount of authority, um, that this is how you fix your life. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I don't do that. You know, I can't do that. So, I hope that makes sense. I don't, I, oh, absolutely. No, you're absolutely right. Because, yeah, I think uh, so many people have been around that to where ministry just becomes about metrics and not about any kind of growth. It just, it ends up, yes. And we always, always, always use the wrong metrics too. Um, oh, sure. <laughs> like the metrics that if you mentioned this to Jesus, he'd be like, what? What? How much money you what? brought in? What? I, what is no. this? Yeah. She brought, she, the widow brought a mite. Yeah, yes. but it was all she I, had. She brought a hundred percent. Where's your hundred percent, brother? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So. And oh, now, now for you, like how uh, journeying from from a certain perspective of God and what what faith and spirituality looks like. How how has your perspective changed when you have learned to, I guess, connect with a non domesticated God? Because you yeah. talk about that too, like how the church has domesticated God. How how has that changed for you? Well, I'll I'll tell you two things. On the one hand, it's made it easier. On one hand, it's made it harder, Mm -hmm. right? Um, A God that you can easily define is easily understood, um, is easily sort of employed to do the things you need him to do. Um, And all of that works really well as long as it works. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've ever talked to like Thomas Ord or Mm -hmm. Mark Harris or anything. So you talk about like folks who are deep into the open relational theology world, um, they'll have a similar story. Like it all works until it doesn't work. And the problem is it doesn't work a lot. And then what do you do? Right. Yeah. So I'm where I am now. I like what those guys say. I don't know that I am an open theist. I'm, I'm not even sure I'm a theist at this point, to be honest with you, because my, my concept of God is so, ephemeral if that's the right word Mm. i think we've done a disservice to god i think peter rollins one of the one of the guys i respect a great deal had said you know basically i wish i had his irish brogue oh that that dude's voice is sexy come on man he could read the phone book and i would listen every day the audio version one two three four hey um he says uh essentially what um what we've done is objectify god yeah and so he has a book called the idolatry of god i believe that's one of his books um is that Peter Rollins? Yeah, that's idolatry you? gods, Pete. Okay. Yeah, okay, yeah, yep. I thought so. Pete, if you're listening, come on the podcast. You're killing me, dude. Um, 
but uh but essentially that was what it was like we've we've tried so hard to domesticate we've tried so hard to define we've tried so hard to objectify god that we've turned our our god concepts into idols yeah and so what is god i don't know um you know peter would say something like god does not exist god is existence mm-hmm and once you begin to open yourself up to the idea that God is existence itself, he's the very bedrock of existence itself, then what is not included in that? Yeah, Everything's included in that. Jeff Turner, another guy that I love and think is great and is affiliated with choir as well now, mm-hmm. um, you know, talks about, you know, the even even the uh, like the belief in an eternal hell is 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 turns you into a, uh, um, a polytheist because what can exist apart from God? If hell is a place of eternal separation, how does that stay in business? Mm-hmm. Like how did like so now you believe in it? There must be another God who maintains that place of separation. And so now you're a polytheist because you believe in this 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 other thing that can't be. And so if God is the bedrock of all creation and is the, the very bedrock of existence itself, then. What is not included yeah. in my mind, it's all there. Right. And so that opens me up to be. Um, to be open to my friends of other faiths to say, who am I to say that they're not genuinely seeking um, the divine through whatever method they know to do. If I was, and, and I think I bring this up at some point mm-hmm. in the book, if I, if I don't, I should have, but you know, if I'd been born in India, I'd be a devout Hindu. Yep. I'd be the best damn Hindu you ever saw. If I'd been, you know, if I'd been born in somewhere in the middle East, I'd be a, I'd be a hell of a good Muslim. Um, we don't have any control over the religious systems that we're born into, into the cultures that we're born into. And I think it, I think it's strange credulity to think that simply because I happen to be born in North America to a Christian family, that somehow I got it right. And I won the lottery when it comes to my religious beliefs. And mm. so everybody else goes to hell, but I'm good. Cause I, you know, cause I, cause I, I chose the right family. So I don't, does that make a lot well of done. sense? Well done. Well yeah. done. Also as it, <laughs> <laughs> well you know as a as a middle-aged cisgendered white male i've already won the lottery that's true I don't to, I oh don't and you're in the, texas too so and i mean I'm in that's... texas so i mean I'm, i don't i don't need to win the lottery in the afterlife as well i mean trust me i've i've gotten my i've gotten my rewards right here on planet earth thank you very much um at the expense of many many others but we'll uh we'll try to fix that well I, and i want you to speak especially because i think this is something that i've gone through too and there is it's interesting because I feel like there's a fear that keeps us there. Yeah. Like for sure. in, in the institutions that, cause they do a good job of making us afraid. Like, Oh, if you step outside the lines, ah, mm-hmm. you know, it's mm-hmm. all going to happen. There's a slippery slope. Um, but also at, at, on, on the flip side. And I, I think that I'm probably getting this wrong, but I know Kierkegaard talks about this idea of this, like the, the anxiety of choice. Yeah. You know, this idea that, that once we let's step outside of this and now we have freedom yeah. and we have options and we have choice. But for people that have been used to having stuff told to them and everything else, that can also be another fear. Oh, it's a, yeah, it's huge. I want you to speak to a little bit of like the, the fear of yeah. almost like stepping out. Well, <laughs> there's there's a lot about there's a lot about my religious upbringing that is embarrassing now, um, and and most of it's because of the fear that I labored under mm-hmm. and the choices that I made out of that fear. And so I stayed. If you read through the book, you'll see mm-hmm. I stayed way too long. 
like I and I and I stuck it out in churches way too long. And I and I listened and bought the lies way too long. And I at some point I'm like, why did it take me 15 years to, to figure out what my wife knew 10 years before? It mm-hmm. was like, get out. You need to get out. These people don't value you. They don't they're not really for you. Um, but I was afraid whatever little tiny bit of position I had gained, I didn't want to lose it. Um, so even when I was in my early days of deconstruction, um, and I would post about things on Facebook, I always was careful how I worded things mm-hmm. so they didn't come out and say things that I thought w- that I knew would offend, especially people who were on the board at my church. Um, I will say this though, when there are, there are certain doctrines and certain beliefs that I grew up with that when they, when I finally did get rid of them, the relief was so immense mm-hmm. that I could not be quiet about it. Mm-hmm. Like literally the day I, the day I, the day I decided that the rapture was bullshit, I had the first good night's sleep that I'd had in 20 years. Mm. I'm like, Oh, and coincidentally have- that night, Kirk Cameron did not sleep at all. Yeah. Good for him. I may know. he, may he never have another good night's sleep until he repents from all the bullshit. He and his buddy Ray did. Uh, yes. Uh, okay. is that, is Ray, what's it? Ray, no, Ray. Yeah. Ray comforts the one that likes oh. to sodomize bananas. Yeah. Way of the okay. master. All those yeah. guys out there going, you're a liar and a thief and adulterer, you know? Um, so oh, those guys, um, but yeah, so there was a there was an immense amount of relief that came. Um, the fear for me, I can only speak to myself. Mm-hmm. I can speak for me. Um, th- my fear was was more prescient, like okay, what's what's going to happen tomorrow if I lose this job? Gotcha. Um, I, I lost a job. I, well, I ended up quitting the job, but um, lost a job at a school um, that my church had had started to run and. Um, that was a whole terrible chapter of the story of the story. Um, my wife ended up getting fired by them for stupid reasons because they were mad because we left the church and then I quit in protest. But there was lots of that fear, like, OK, what do I do now? I need this paycheck. I need to not ruffle too many feathers. Um, and then at some point, you know, you just kind of go, well, fuck it. Like I, I I cannot keep, you know, I can't I just can't keep holding back. It, it's mm-hmm. causing me too much stress. So for me, the fear was more immediate um i don't think i had many dark nights of the soul i still don't have many dark nights of the soul wondering if at the end i may have been wrong and there really is a vengeful god who's going to throw me in hell i have so reconciled myself to the fact that that can't possibly be true Mm -hmm. that i'm like i just don't think there's any convincing me otherwise you know what i'm saying Mm -hmm. um and what bugs me the most is i've had i've had really good conversations with really genuine earnest people who are still inside the church who don't believe this either but stay inside of it because well but if i'm wrong like the consequences of that are really bad so i'd really in fact i have multiple messages from people go man i really wish i could believe in the god that you believe in but i i I just can't i'm not there um i'm like well maybe start questioning why you wish it were true yeah and if you wish it's true so much maybe start wondering well maybe it is true maybe god is better than you think Whatever God is, um, I don't know. It's 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 crazy, but um, yeah, the fear thing is a very real thing. And and then inside of all that, the the institutional church, um, I think they prey on that fear. Oh, absolutely. Oh, they create right? it. <laughs> they, they stoke it. They create yeah. it. They, yeah, yeah. They stoke it. They use it against you, um, and all all in order to control. So that's mm-hmm. that's my issue with the institutional church. And you know, I have to differentiate. I, I say the institutional church. I, I really just, yeah, that's what I mean. Is I mean, 
church as an institution, as a structure and a system and a hierarchy and all that stuff, I think it's all crap. Um, if we were to go back to the early church, I don't know. There's there's a sort of disparate view on what the early church looked like. A lot of people, you know, I mean, you can look in the first chapter of Acts and see um, that the early church met home to home. There was very little structure. Um, uh, C. Baxter Kruger does a much better job of talking about this kind of stuff, talking about the, um, the structure of the early church or lack thereof. But it didn't take long, did it, mm -mm. for us to go, ah, but we need some rules. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we are going to need a place to meet every week. And we need someone to tell us what to do. Yeah, we need a leader. <laughs> um, yeah, well, that guy's got to get paid. True. So now we got to take up a collection. Um, yeah, and so now you have these places, you know, where um you know in in the, mo in the in the grossest extremes you have the joel osteens of the world mm -hmm. you know and the the life churches up in oklahoma and who have you know or hillsong in australia for god's sakes who have you know multiple tens of thousands of people in their church and these massive structures and 85 or so percent of their operating budget goes to upkeep it's all masturbatory yeah. it's all let me just do all of this for us let me make sure that we have enough to get the new lights and the new stage set up and the new thing and the um that was one of the things that broke my heart is when I was on church staff and at one point was privy to the money side of it, seeing how little of our money went anywhere useful. It's like 1% of our budget goes to our community. I'm like, really? That seems low. So, Oh, it's a sad thing when you get to the place of going like, uh, you know, the righteous gemstones. I mean, it's more documentary than it's it is parody so like it's not right? I mean, for a lot of places i've been around and for folks i'm kind of like i'm laughing because i've probably had a conversation or i've seen yeah. a douche like this before like that i've dealt with in ministry yeah I'm, I'm laughing and i'm crying my wife and i watched that whole season the first season in particular yeah we watched it like we, we binged it and i kept looking at her and she's looking at me and i'm like i know right <laughs> Like, I know they're being funny and I know that I know it's exaggerated. Somewhere. So like, all I have to say is somebody Some like what? somebody has like one of their like somebody that's behind this show knows this stuff. Yeah. Like they do because some of this is too good. Yeah. I, I've been around too many places that are just like, oh, well, it, it's it's a it's telling that that show and then the that the new season's out, by the way, you should mm -hmm. watch it. Um, and, you know, the Hillsong documentary comes out, yeah. you know, almost almost simultaneously. And then also the shiny happy people thing comes out. Um, and yeah, um, which one's satire and which one's real? I mean, they were all equally like weird, right? Uh -huh. Um, the stuff going on at Hillsong that I suspected, you know, everyone sort of suspected something was going on at Hillsong. It's like, ugh, you know, and, uh, yet we sang, you know, we, we, we sat on stage and sang oceans on repeat for hours and, you know, that's, that's what everyone aspired to be, but it's crazy. So outside of all this craziness, too, in, in this book, yeah, like, for sure. where, where are you, where do you see and experience God today? Because you're talking about God, you're seeing like an expanded version of God. So like, yeah. yeah. So let's let's do this. Let's say my view of God is expanded hugely. Mm -hmm. My experience of God um, has contracted. Does that make sense? So mm -hmm. where I, and what I mean by that is, I guess you could say it's expansive as well. But what I mean by that is, um, I see God in the small things all the time. Mm -hmm. I see God in, uh, I, I try not to put myself in a place where I need to go someplace and do something to experience that. Yeah. I don't need to go mm -hmm. to a service, have my emotions ginned up by a minor key song, 
Um, I don't need to have somebody speak to me eloquently and get me emotional. Um, those are all manufactured in my mind and I've done it. So trust me, I know, I know how to play in a minor key. I can bring a, I can make a crowd cry. Trust mm -hmm. me. I know the right words to say during the exhortation. Um, I can bring an altar call, man. I can empty the seats. All right. Um, those, those experiences fade, you know, and that, and I think, I think it's, uh, I think it's telling how quickly they fade. Um, you can kind of tell how artificial maybe they were, but um, so now I'm thinking more along the lines of the contemplatives mm. who would say, you know, maybe someone like Richard Rohr would say, um, you're not lacking the presence of God. What you're lacking is awareness. Mm. Um, now I'm trying to be mindful of God in every moment, but in in very local that maybe that's the that maybe that's the contraction I'm talking about um, in a very localized way. All right. So if I have a conversation that or a, or an experience or an interaction with somebody that's positive, uh, OK, I, I can sense there was a God moment there. Does that mm -hmm. make sense? Yeah. Um, I, I don't thank Jesus for the good parking spot. Um, sometimes I do. Just out of habit. Dang it. Thank you, Lord, for one by the hey, that handicap spot with no one was in it. I Look love that. that. Yeah, that's that's, that's, <laughs> that's that brings me. That's so my mother still like to this day. Or oh, like, yeah. oh, thank yeah. you, Jesus. <laughs> Yeah, yeah I, my mother-in-law was the best, but she always like, I never have to park more than two or three spaces down because Jesus is looking out for me. I'm like, oh, and screw everybody else, I guess, huh? It is, um, it is, you know, yeah. Look at this, I found these $200 on the floor. Uh, God blessed me. No, no, someone's missing that money. Like, maybe that's, give it back. That's I gotta be like, Mom, you took your parking spot, starved a kid in Africa. Right. Jesus can't do both, so... You, ah! Your little butterfly wings flapped, <laughs> and there was a tornado in Nepal. That's and they'd never had one before. Sure. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for that. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, I don't know. I, I, since the book, since I finished the book until now, mm -hmm. um, I'm no longer in church. Mm -hmm. And so at the time I wrote it, I was still, I was still pastoring a little church and, uh, and I loved it. There were, uh, we didn't, we didn't, I joke about closing because it failed. It did fail. Trust me. Everything that I was taught to do as a pastor, I didn't want to do. So um, by any metric, by any measure, um, people will tell you it failed because we never made any money ever because I would routinely forget to tell people to put money in the collection plate. We didn't have a collection plate. I had a little box in the back. And every once in a while, I'd be like, hey, if you want to help us keep the lights on and stuff, maybe put something in the box. But that was as, that was as brash as I could bring myself to be. Mm -hmm. Never talked about money. We never. So there were lots and lots of weeks when we go check the box. Eh, nothing. All right. Well, I guess we'll foot the bill this month ourselves. And we paid, you know, my wife and I um, pretty much paid to keep that church open for three years mm. with the help of a handful of people. Um, we never, you know, we never had a bunch of people show up. It was maybe it was folly to plant that kind of church in West Texas, one that was gay affirming and one that was, you know, pretty openly universalist and pretty <laughs> maybe maybe the wrong part of the world. Um or how's this? I'll take it as a success mm -hmm. if if I can say that the people that did attend felt empowered to not attend. Yeah. And they didn't feel compelled to come back week after week and hear my brilliant witticisms and figure out. I'd freed them to say, you know, God's explorable and findable on your own. Mm -hmm. If you want to come here and connect with us and worship with us and take the sacraments with us and do all the things we do, man, that's awesome. If you don't, no harm, no foul. Mm -hmm. like no guilt I, I would it was the first time in my entire life in ministry that i would run into people from my church 
maybe who I hadn't seen in a while, like out in the world, and they wouldn't immediately go, "Oh my gosh, I, yeah, I really need to get back in church." And I, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, but I'm, they would just say, "What's up, man? How's it going?" I'm like, "It's going really well, man." All right, man, maybe I'll see you in a couple of weeks. That'd be great. Hope, hope, hope we do. Mm-hmm. And so, again, you get back in that thing of, well, none of that stuff is quantifiable. Yep. Right. None mm-hmm. of that stuff could I have submitted to anybody and said, "Look how successful my church is." Nobody came. Mm-hmm. Um, handful of people came all the time and they were very connected and very committed. But, um, at the, in the end, we decided to shut it down, not because of any of that, but because mm-hmm. life got really busy and I felt like I was shortchanging people by not being available. Mm-hmm. And so when my workload got to be too much and I was shortchanging my family and, um, I'm like, okay, well, something's going to give and it's going to be this before it's going to be my family. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be this before it's going to be, you know, what I do to, you know, actually pay the bills and keep the lights on and feed people. So, um, yeah, so that, that's, that's been a big change, you know, uh, it's been about six months since we stopped the meeting as a church. And, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't, at this point, if you ask me, um, I'm not sure I can bring myself to set foot in another church again. Um, the closest I got was we did a conference with Keith Giles and a bunch of choir people in Nashville called Awaken. Mm-hmm. And that was in a church. And it was like, whoo, pretty traditional looking church not a very traditional church but the church building itself is very and I, my wife and i are both like okay i don't know uh, this is a little triggering <laughs> I, I no i i still have that feeling too and it was i even had gone to this is like a couple of years back but it was i had to step foot into it was it was a church for a friend that was getting married but that what triggered me even more wasn't even just the building was it was a very like baptist wedding ceremony as well too yeah. which which yeah. means there's like a whole like there's a whole sermon in the middle of the ceremony. Oh, of course. That's really what yeah. it means. And it's got to be about sin. And I'm just, I'm getting like itchy in the back with my wife. Yeah. I'm going like, like, oh, no. Like, like, I, I, need, I, need, yeah, I need to get out of here. Yes. <laughs> Why didn't I bring a flask or something? Jeez. Right? You know? <laughs> yeah. But it is, you're right. It's, it, I mean, I guess, after, especially after you've been behind the scenes of it, it's hard to, it's hard to stomach the bullshit anymore, you know, yeah. and, and, and it's, it's hard to be able to take it seriously. And, and I know that sounds like super disrespectful to folks that, that like during a service it, like that are like, this is beautiful. But I'm, I'm like, just like, that's great. That's beautiful for you. But I feel like I've outgrown this. And for me to go back here, it's yeah, essentially just like, I don't know, like stabbing a pen in my eye to just continue yeah. to remain in the space. Like it's yeah. Well, and you know, awaken was cool. Yeah. And uh, hopefully we'll do it again next year. Um, we'll see how Keith feels after after uh, having organized it two years in a row. And, you know, he when I when I left him on the, the last day, I was like, I'll see you next year. He's like, I don't know, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's like because he's he's a one man he, between him and Wendy. They do it all right. It's yeah. a lot of work to organize. Um, but Jennifer Knapp was our musical guest and she was phen- phenomenal. She's great. In fact, we'll have her on the podcast in a couple of weeks. Mm. Um, but the uh, pastor of the church did a, did a session, right? We all, there were 10 or 11 of us that gave little talks. I talked about my new book and um, Keith is such a generous guy. We went long on a couple of things. He didn't even speak about his new book. He turned it all over to us, but um, the pastor of the church is a nice guy. Very, very progressive, very liberal. Um, not your traditional, you know, pastor that you, but man, every single one of his mannerisms, Every single thing about the way he talked, every single it's a cadence, cliche, it's yeah. The cadence, it's the, it's the it's the word choice, it's the I'm like everything he said. I was like, on the one hand, I'm like, yes, yes. On the other hand, I'm like, oh god, shut up. Like just 
You know what I mean? Like, My I brain just shuts off when I hear that case of people yeah. talking. I'm like, that's why are you talking it, like a normal human? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 but at some point I look at my, I'm, I'm sitting next to my wife in this, in this, in this session. And I look at her and she's just, she's cringing. She's like, I'm like, right. And she's like, yeah, he's a nice guy, but I can't do this. You know? <laughs> and again, nothing he was saying was, uh-huh. was objectionable. It was all the other stuff that goes along with that, which is, you know, again, I don't, how, how I'm talking to you right now is how I preach. Right. I'm not sure. Preach, right. You know, I'm like, I'm like, Hey, can we talk about the Bible? Let's talk about this verse here. What? You know, um, I can't do the whole preacher gig. Um, but after you, he, yeah, and, after you've been taught to perform and then, yeah. yeah well, and he then, was super yeah. hip. He was, you know, he's my age, but he looked 20 years younger because he had the good haircut and he's wearing the tight little denim jacket. And he had the whole, had the whole, you know, hip, you know, fifties, fifties era, you know, like 50 ish year old pastor look, right? Like Stephen Furtick, but 10 years older. Um, I was like, man, everything about you is true. Oh, yeah, long scarf. That was true. I was like, oh, everything about you is triggering me right now, dude. Um, so I don't know. Um, if I, there have been times I've toyed with the idea, because I, you know, every time I think I'm just like over church as having any utility at all, I meet somebody, right? And so John and I had um, a guy named Adam Bucko on the, on the program on the podcast three weeks ago, maybe guy completely caught me off guard, completely mm. caught me off guard. He's a, he's an Episcopal priest. Um, but he's also very progressive as Episcopal as Episcopalians tend to be anyway, mm-hmm. but long dreadlocks, um, out of Poland, grew up in Poland. He's got this sort of thick sort of Eastern European accent works with the homeless in New York and does all mm. this really great stuff. And we talked about like, like what is the what does the church look like next mm. and he's like i just hope we don't tear all these structures down um some of them have utility and some of them are useful and and i remember saying to him that one of the things i found striking about more traditional churches say like a catholic church or an episcopal mm-hmm. church for that matter is you can go to those places almost any day of the week and you can walk in into the sanctuary and you can just sit there mm-hmm. and you can have a moment right um most of the churches I, I ever served in or, or attended as an evangelical, um, yeah, the, the, the offices might be open, but the sanctuary is locked. Mm-hmm. We can't have just you can't have you just going in there. Um, there's oh my like, God, we wouldn't want to have a homeless person potentially right. in a building like that. Well, there's like half a million the dollars carpet? worth of sound I mean, equipment. I, and what if, yeah, what if they yeah. yeah, what if they you know do something you know? Um, but you can walk into any Catholic church yeah. in, in America, probably in the world, at any time of the day, mm. light a candle and sit in, sit in a pew and have a moment. Um, and I'm like, okay, damn it, Adam. All right. I see that. You know, I, I, I don't know that it's worth, you know, the billions of dollars that we spend to generate to keep these things open. But I, I do see some utility in having those spaces that are, mm. um, that are sacred on some level. Um, and guys like Adam make them so. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I mean, um, so I don't know. I, there have been times when I've toyed around with going to mass and just like maybe just sitting in the back and kind of taking it all in. And then I go, eh, but that's church. Never mind. <laughs> well, but that's, but that's, but see, I think that's the beauty of where you're moving towards next. I mean, you're, you're, it's, it's, I think stepping out of those systems of control, you get to be able to use your own intuition. You get to be able to use your own experience to be able to see where God is moving yeah. and and it doesn't have to be about control. It can kind of be in that kind of wild goose kind of a spirit where you're moving to where you're feeling called to move. Yeah. Well, and it doesn't have to be 
confined to and that's that's another thing that's so contrary to the way that, that you and i were probably both raised right um church church membership that is such a weird concept to me um but the idea that you're supposed to go to a church until somebody like tells you you can go like i have people who you know like i really don't want to stay in this church but i don't feel released you know <laughs> i don't yeah. feel well, i don't know release yourself it's okay that's well true. no yeah. no I need to hear, I need, I need, I need to hear from God. God's going to have to release me from this. I'm like, if you're waiting for the audible voice of God to tell you to get away from someone who's abusing you, um, then the abuse has taken hold yeah. um, and you have submitted fully to it. Maybe mm -hmm. get the hell out. Um, so it's not confined. So I, if whatever affiliation I have in the future mm -hmm. um, will be very loose, you know what I mean? But I, I, as I sit and think about it and I have over the, over the months and like, I can't think of, I can't think of a single church service i'd want to attend i might be more inclined to go hang out at a buddhist monastery mm -hmm. and see what that's all about you know i might be i you know I, I might be willing to i don't know take a yoga class and invite the demons in i don't know maybe see what happens with the uh... <laughs> well that is beautiful i love it and and so the book is coming out august 8th august 8th see, yeah yep seeds of deconstruction now if people want to be able to stalk you, to find you online, uh, send random things in the mail that are probably inappropriate to your brother, I, I don't know. But like, how would you? How? How? Yeah. How do you have well, people? Well, let's, let's make sure that, that that John gets a lot of love. He needs all the naked selfies you can send. Okay. Um, he would really appreciate those. Um, uh, yeah, I'm on Facebook. Uh, I have an author page. I have a private page. Um, I'm almost to the max on my private page, but you can follow me there. I don't post much on the author page. I'm really kind of pissed at Facebook right now because they turned both my both my personal page and my well, my personal page became sort of a professional page. I don't know if you noticed that change lately. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, I'm a digital creator, whatever the fuck that is. Yeah. And now, like I've seen, I've seen my um, interaction go way down because I'm not willing to spend money. So. But I do that. Um, John and I have the podcast. Obviously, we drop we drop episodes every Monday. Um, we're on every streaming platform, so we're all over the place. Um, we have uh, TikTok, and um, I think John even put us on Threads. Um, we were on YouTube for a while, but uh, we switched to a new hosting platform, and we haven't quite ironed out the the stuff with that. So, um, Choircast uh, migrated over to Patheos um, a couple months ago, and so we've been kind of working out the kinks of how to get stuff hosted through them. And, um, but yeah, I'm all, I'm around, man. Easy to find. So the book again is seeds of deconstruction by Nat Turney. And also you can find his podcast, which is out every week. This is not church. And so, uh, Nat, thank you for being a part of the show. We'd love to have you on again, man. I'd appreciate it, man. I would love to anytime. I'll have you back on our show as well. I would love to. Awesome. Yeah. We'll do it. Maybe we should co-host and have somebody else come in and we could both like tag team interview them. That, you know, I'm always up for that. I always love, I love collaborations too. That's yeah, beautiful. Yeah, me too. I'm a, I'm a big fan. So awesome, man. Thank you All so right, much. Thank you. Peace. Well, much thanks to Nat for being on the show today. And before I send you off into this wild, wide world, I want to remind you, hey, share the show, subscribe, and give Snarky Faith a review over on Apple Podcasts. It helps us to get the word out to new listeners. Thank you for being a part of this show week after week, month after month, and just know that I appreciate you all. So as I finally release you out into this wild, wide world, I send you out with the holiest amount of grace and peace and snark 
I'm out of here. Peace be with you. This Choircast podcast episode is brought to you by the brand new number one best-selling Amazon blockbusting book, The Seeds of Deconstruction, One Troublemaker's Journey from Religious Certainty to Liberating Doubt by brand new author, Nat Turney, also the co-host of This Is Not Church, the podcast. If you are deconstructing, if you have deconstructed, if you're thinking about deconstructing or you're just wondering what the hell is deconstruction anyway, pick up this book and find out. It's all the rage. All the kids are doing it. It's great. Check it out wherever fine books are sold. Buy a copy for yourself. Buy one for your friends. Maybe take it to your Bible study and really piss some folks off. Peace out. Love y'all. Thanks.